0: Hello and welcome to In Person with Paul on Crime Time FM. I'm Paul Burke and I write about crime fiction. And for Crime Time FM I interview authors about their latest novels. We had some really special interviews in November and I was particularly pleased to chat to James Grady. But I can tell you that December is going to be just as exciting and that's starting with my guest today. Laura Wilson is making her young adult novel debut under the name Jamie Costello. Monochrome, which came out in October, is a zeitgeisty thriller drama that tackles climate change from an original angle, but which also reflects on Laura Wilson's own experience, and we'll certainly be discussing that. And I think it's fair to say that most of us know Laura Wilson as the Guardian crime fiction critic, and of course as the author of 13 crime novels, many of which are psychological thrillers. The first, A Little Death, was published in 1999, and Wilson has won the Prix de Poulaille European for The Lover. And the CWALS Peter Award for Best Historical Mystery for her novel Stratton's War. So, what was Wilson stroke Costello's inspiration for writing a young adult novel? And what's in a name? Why don't we start there? Hello, and welcome to Crime Time FM, Laura.
1: Hello. It's lovely to be here.
0: It's very good to have you. So we're going to be chatting about Monochrome, your new young adult novel. But first of all, let's get to the name. You chose Jamie Costello. Why that?
1: Well, partly because I wanted to sort of mark a change. And partly because, you know, Laura Wilson, it's nice to be at the other end of the alphabet for a change. (laughs) Paul Burke, you know, with yes. <laughs> all the privileges of being at the top there. You know, the only time anyone ever started with me at school was when there was a math test. And they said, oh, I know, we'll do it in reverse. Um, and I, I'm not bitter at all. No, know. not at all. Um, but so I just thought, well, actually, let's just have something completely different. I mean, very often when authors choose pseudonyms, they say, oh, you know, very patriarchal this is. Take your mother's maiden name. Yeah. Wilson is such a common name that it was my mother's maiden name before she married my father, Right, also called Wilson. Um, so I didn't really have that option. And so it was just like, well, what shall I choose?
0: Is it right that Mark Billingham was the one who came he up with did. Costello?
1: He did have a bearing on it. We had a conversation and of course he's a, a huge fan of Elvis Costello. Yeah, right. Indeed, as am I, I think he's brilliant. And I thought, Oh, actually, that goes really well together. And I just liked the idea of a name that ended in O. Because right. there's not that many in Englishy type, Well, it's more Irish, although. Yeah,
0: not many um, English, though, for sure. As, as
1: has been pointed out to me in Ireland, it's actually pronounced Costolo, not yeah. Costello, not <laughs> Costello. Um, and I just thought that that sounded, the two together sounded quite euphonious. So.
0: Yeah, no, funny. it definitely works. The thing about it is, it also gave you the chance to set up this website as well. In which you are Jamie Costello, specifically yes. aimed at the audience, didn't it? And I've noticed yeah. that you've got you've got your recommendations for eco books there. You've got um, a little bit on the characters, character portraits, and things yeah. like that. So that must be very useful.
1: Yeah, and that was good because well, I just thought otherwise it's going to get a bit confusing. But, you know, if you wear different hats. Yeah. Because also having been a crime thriller author for a lot of years, and then the Guardian, and. I kind of thought we're going to get muddled here.
0: Yeah, because of what you're known for.
1: Um, although I have to say, I, I did a Yalk, you know, the uh, young adult literary. Yeah, right. In Ju- back in July. And it, it was great. It was lovely. Um, I love the idea that you have a convention where everyone's dressing up as people and all that kind of thing. But I realized because signing like the, the samplers, I mm-hmm. hadn't ever actually written the words Jamie Costello. Ah, right. I didn't, she doesn't have a signature no right I, I, it, it really took me back I had to kind of invent one on the spot I just hadn't I
0: hadn't thought it through is it more than a name though is it like a persona can you sort of move into it
1: um yes actually it is a bit um and I think I think Jamie's probably a much nicer and more sociable relaxed person than Laura <laughs> Wilson <laughs> had to happen sometime
0: <laughs> i absolutely making no comment on that at all. <laughs> so let's chat about uh, Monochrome. It's a YA novel um, and it's a new venture. And it's, it's, of course, you have got this very successful career as a psychological novelist, you know, adult thrillers and with The Guardian, as you pointed out. So why young adult and why now?
1: Um, well, actually, the idea for this, it was sometime around Christmas 2017, I think. Right. Um, I think a lot of changes had occurred in my the circumstances of my life, and I think that always makes you think. Hmm, actually, maybe time to have more changes on more fronts. Right, and somebody, it it was one of those things that are is a sort of concatenation of circumstances and things that come to your attention. And one of them was that somebody, for some reason, had given me a DVD of a TV series called The Changes. Right. It was the mid seventies, and it was based on Peter Dickinson books, a trilogy of books, um, and it's basically what would happen if, for some reason, and the reason is a weird, not what well, we do learn in the end, but a, a weird noise happens, and everyone in the UK turns on their cars and their technology, such as it was in the 70s, and destroys Mm -hmm. it all. So the society returns to this pre-industrial age. And in the centre of it all is this very resourceful young girl character. Um, And the production value is pretty cardboardy. But I I was intrigued by it. I hadn't seen it at the time because I grew up in a house without a TV, so I missed a lot of that stuff. Mm. Um, and this, this young girl I, I liked. And I, I thought about it a lot and I thought, oh, it would be interesting to do something like that. And obviously I have written quite a few books which have child characters. Yes. Really. But it's only one of a kaleidoscope of points of view and obviously the adults take the body of it or it's somebody remembering when they were a child or something like that. Mm. But I thought it would be, be nice to have a story which is told only from that POV. And, of course you you can do that in an adult novel but I just thought no this this really has to be by as it were and for teenagers right is where this should be um and then I started thinking about well what 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 could it be this this big change that would happen in society of course I wrote this with no idea of what was coming around the corner right,
0: Yes, yes. in right. terms
1: of global catastrophe, which has been really peculiar, you know, mm. um, watching the world I created become closer and closer to the world as it is. But I then remembered something which I think because I was so afraid at the time, the narrative possibilities of it never occurred to me. Um, about 20 years ago, I started to lose the sight in my left eye. And one of the symptoms, there was sort of seeing straight lines as wobbly and all this kind of thing. One of the symptoms was I lost my color vision. And at the time, I lived in central London in Covent Garden, which is very bright, very busy, you know. And I could go along the street and wink and make the world go from color to black and white to color to white again, which was surreal and fascinating. And it really made me appreciate the part that colour plays in all our lives because, obviously, if something goes wrong with something you've got two of, mm. you think, is this going to happen to the other one? And it, while they they didn't know what had caused it, there was a lot, was about six months of, sort of faffing about before mm. I had an operation, which then didn't work. And I think I kind of hid from myself quite how terrified I was. Right. Now I, I look back and I think, oh, God, you really didn't tell anyone, did you? Didn't you know? um But it, in in that time, I could make the world look just weirder and weirder and weirder, and eventually I lost all the vision except a tiny little bit right around the periphery, and I I was started sort of tripping up curbs and all this sort of thing. But it, it, I did think about it a lot, and it was an experience that really stayed with me, even though the right eye although very short-sighted, is still doing its stuff. So, Right, yes. that's all fine. And when I, th- I thought about that, and the next thing that happened was I started noticing all these reports about plastic in mm. the ocean. You know, you'd see this picture, of these poor dead sea creatures has got a stomach full of plastic that it it thought was food, pictures of the great sort of like plastic islands in, in places and you know, more and more and more every minute the lorry load goes in, what what are we going to do yeah, about this? Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: And because everyone, the only explanation anyone had given me for what went wrong with my left eye was toxins. What does that mean? Yeah, you
0: know? yeah, what does it
1: mean? I thought, okay, do you see that we're joining up the dots? I do, yeah, yeah. This is how this could work, that we have a world in which slowly slowly everybody loses their color vision because of microplastic toxins now in the time since i wrote the book just early this year we have learned that they can cross the blood brain barrier yes those teeny tiny little bits of plastic which of course carry all sorts of crap on them
0: Mm.
1: you know can enter your brain so what i wrote about has turned out to be real
0: yeah that's which there's an awful lot in the novel it's creaky. yeah it yeah. just keeps resonating and as yeah, you say I mean, it's interesting that i really
1: that had never thought of myself as that kind of novelist at all you know william gibson i am not um <laughs> <laughs> in remotely but it, it's been really extraordinary how all this has happened you know covid everything
0: so i mean that the mood then you, you make that story, uh, You can I can feel how terrifying that must have been for somebody, you know, to have mm. that experience. And if you're not talking about it also, just bear all that weight on your own shoulders. Did that feed into the attitude in the book or the atmosphere in the book? Sorry, that's what I mean. Because, it, you know, a lot of the book is about that sort of sinister atmosphere that kind of overhangs things.
1: Yeah, uh, obviously in in a in a um macro way rather than micro yeah, way. I yeah. mean in my case it was micro because my, my father and grandparents had got macular degeneration, they'd gone blind um at the end of their lives, and just as a family we have terrible eyesight and I was always really afraid, you know, is it is this what's in store for me? Um, so I just thought, well, let's expand this to everybody having having this fear.
0: So it gestated for a long time. This story, didn't it, in a sense, yeah, a very that long was story. in the background. Was it wasn't a conscious thing? Yeah, keep, I, thinking about it. I, I
1: think. started thinking about it in sort of Christmas twenty seventeen. Right, actually yeah. Started. I put fingertip to keyboard mm. in twenty eighteen and it went through various iterations and by 2019 it was is with agent and so on um but covid of course put a huge spanner in yes. all sorts of works which is why it didn't see the light of day until this October
0: I mean that's that's interesting though isn't it i mean obviously that not to belittle the thing that's happened with covid now and that's a real tragedy for a lot of people and it's certainly blighted all our lives But it must resonate, must feel it would resonate with readers now, given that we all understand this kind of isolation and the things that have cropped up. In your book and Mimic by Life. I mean, I don't mean, as I said, I don't mean to belittle, Uh, but it is kind of timely.
1: Yes, I know. And I, uh, with, you know, of course, I wish COVID hadn't happened, but it was quite extraordinary. And the other thing that was extraordinary about it is, uh, amongst many ramifications of COVID or or people losing their loved ones and all these terrible things, Mm. the way that, private enterprise stepped yeah. in to make a huge buck out of tragedy and catastrophe, yes. which is another thing that happens in the book. Yeah. Because, of course, where there's a disaster, there will always be somebody who goes, aha, can turn a yeah. profit. Or I think in some cases just by incompetence or dump some, in the case of a government and the PPE, you know, yes. somebody had a drink with somebody and, oh, yes, I can provide you with this and all that all that kind of thing somebody will always profit yeah, from
0: it suddenly people who don't uh, don't know what they're doing get millions and millions of pounds yeah. extra on top yeah yeah for fulfilling crazy contracts yeah. yeah no that's very true there's an awful lot of issues in there let's start with something that perhaps backtracks a little bit before we do that though um I and mean, when i was growing up there's no such thing as young adult literature then it became a very specific thing sort of aimed at teenage uh, but is it more fluid now i mean you know, when you're writing these novels, are you writing for a, for a board of people, band of people?
1: Yeah, it's. I think um, in 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 the studies they've done and so on, young adult literature is written by it's it's read by teenagers, but right up to people in their early early to late twenties. Right. I mean, I I read lots of YA, and I always yeah. have. I just like it. Yeah. I think I don't see why. People should feel they've got to read age-appropriate books. I you, read anything. Why does it matter? You yeah, know, I it's think the of traditional. Mm. Um, and there's just as much emotional depth and and meaningfulness yes. in in YA as as there is in adult books. You know, that it's not as if they're some dumbed down version of an adult theme or anything. Um, I think the YA audience is incredibly sort of sophisticated and it yeah,
0: well let's talk about that a little bit then so when you're writing the novel i mean how different is it what's different the story the language the style the intent well,
1: i think if you come from writing adult crime thriller mm-hmm. you're used to having to have a propulsive plot right you know you can't go down b roads you can't witter yeah everything has got to act in the service of the story which is, is good because it's a yes. good discipline, and that's important for YA. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the other thing is that the main focus is usually on the younger age group. Yes, right. Not so much. I mean, the adults are there, but they're peripheral. Mm. I mean, I think there's a reason why a lot of famous children and YA literature tends to take place where there really aren't many adults. Mm. I mean, the classic example with children's literature is um, – Uncle Quentin and Auntie, can't remember her name, saying, Famous yeah. Five, go off and have yeah, a bit." Right. We're basically saying, oh, piss off and leave us alone. Yeah. You
0: know? They go off and there's no <laughs> adult world around. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> They'd probably now be condemned for terrible parenting. But it, <laughs> and the, there's a lot of that, that that would take place in a school yeah. or, yes, you've got the teachers, but it's mainly you and the other kids, and, you know.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I yeah. think what we're saying there is it's just about the characters and the characters lead. The young characters. You know who you're writing yeah. for, in a sense. It's not about changing style. It's not about other things, which imply that it's something less. And we already talked about that. Yeah. One thing, <laughs> maybe. No. Sorry, no. Carry on. No, I
1: was going to no, say I yeah. came to the conclusion that actually, probably the very hardest book of all to write would be a young children's picture book because you've right. got a handful of words, mm. and my God, they've got to work.
0: Yeah. You know. So yeah, they are like poetry, where you you. You have no spare words at all. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if you have, in this sense, also less spare words in a young adult novel, because there's so much that young people can do today as well. You know, Mm. there are so many competing interests. Again, not something I had when I was growing up. You know, reading was pretty natural for everybody in the family. But of course, now you've got computers and you've got activities and all sorts of Mm. things. If you, I suppose if you don't keep them interested the whole time, There's no reason for them to keep turning the pages. And that's more so than an adult.
1: Absolutely. But actually, I think that's true of adults as well. There is so much to take your focus away from anything long Mm. before, which a novel, of course, is, you know, um, could be TikTok or (laughs) whatever,
0: you know. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, it is easy to get caught up on social media. It's a good way of procrastinating, isn't it? (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, yes, but I have this wonderful thing. It's called the K-safe. So I'm not sponsored by these people. So
0: right, okay.
1: It's a lock, a box which you can lock for a certain period of time, and you lock your phone in there.
0: Right. I think I maybe should get one of those. Yeah. It's yeah.
1: really, really good idea. I, I think it was developed by the dietary industry, which is just silly because you can always break out of your house and go and yes, buy a packet of crisps. But your phone, no, it's perfect for that.
0: Yeah, it's I might really have to good. look into that. Yeah,
1: pay safe, highly recommended.
0: How about then? Tell us a little bit about Monochrome, the actual plot, sort of the the elevator pitch.
1: Okay, the well, the elevator pitch is a sixteen-year-old girl called Grace wakes up and discovers that she can no longer see in colour. She thinks the world's ending. Um, the doctor thinks she may have a brain tumour. She doesn't know what's happening, but whatever is happening, slowly over the few months. It's happening to everybody right. And at first no one can figure out why, but because it's also happening to the animal kingdom, it's happening to birds. Mm. it has terrible consequences ecologically and soon there's a food shortage um, and it's catastrophic. They have got to find a cure. Grace starts getting violent headaches and whenever a traumatic event comes she she will see a flash of color and then feel terribly sick she sees a flash of red she's one of a handful of teenagers with their nice flexible brains in the world who can do this she gets asked to put be put on a government program so she goes because obviously altruism she wants to help and discovers that this government program is in partnership with a private company, right? and what she thinks is going to happen, the result that they'll find a miraculous cure, it'll be wonderful, and the normal order will be restored, isn't quite what these people have in mind, dot, dot,
0: yeah. dot. Absolutely. No, that's perfect introduction. So Monochrome deals with friendship and family, betrayal, grief, these issues, and we'll talk about that. But um, what I wanted to get at was the, the incredibly zeitgeisty nature of the plot in the sense that it's – um. It's about climate change. Yes. That's that's the main sort of, you know, that's one of the thrusts behind it.
1: Yes, I didn't know that there is actually a sort of subgenre of everything called cli-fi.
0: Oh right. I didn't climate know. Climate fiction, no? who knew? It's yeah. thin. Yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> idea. So <laughs> that that innocent. <laughs> <laughs> is that a reflection of um of your, you know, your personal uh, interest in it? Climate change, what I'm getting at, how much of that is about you and how much of it is about addressing those issues that are a big concern uh, for young people?
1: Well, I can't claim to any sort of crusading zeal or anything. No, here. no, right. That would be wrong if I did that. But uh, like everybody, I've become more and more aware of it. And I was thinking, how can I cut down my use of plastics or all, all this sort of thing that we all all think about now? Um. And it also worried me enormously that us lot, you know, baby boomers, mm. I'm just on the tail end of that. Um, have Basically, we've trashed the world. Yeah. We're not at the moment, as far as I can see, providing any solutions. No. And we're just going to hand it over to these young kids saying, yes, sorry. <laughs> we messed everything up and now it's your go. Which yeah. it just strikes me as selfishness beyond belief. But the way that I and I, I'm sure you grew up was this idea that there would always be progress and it would always yes. be wonderful yes. and that actually yes, but also no, some progress in inverted commas is the wrong kind of progress, you yeah. know, and and some it's of it was cost, idiotic. Yeah. I mean, obviously, single use plastic is really important for medicine, and the reason plastic was developed. Was it actually? They said at the time. We're going back to Victorian times. That it actually meant that the turtle, because of tortoiseshell, and the elephant, because of ivory, exist because we have plastic. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they would have shot a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. So, and it could have been just for good, but instead we had all this sort of mad single-use knives, forks. It got into everything. Mm. Um, but, and it's we almost like we have an addiction to it
0: almost yeah, I, it's going back a long time now but i remember when i started working i worked for a metal company it doesn't matter what it was but the point is i remember thinking at the time oh one day this will all be replaced by plastic and everything will be fine
1: yeah and of and course you,
0: that's that's a total disaster.
1: iconic sort of moment in um the, the graduate with dustin hoffman mm. He, he, I think he's at a pool party or something. And he's just graduated. And this man comes up to him and says, I've got one word to say to you. Plastics. Right, Get into yes. Plastics. That's the way that's, you know.
0: Yeah, it sums it up perfectly.
1: Is, it's been absolutely catastrophic.
0: Yeah, it has. It has. Let's talk about um, Grace a little bit. Um, she introduces us to this world in the novel. Um, and you said about the idea and how it percolated or how it, it grew over time. And then the idea came to you. Was grace the the driver for the story then? Was it was it getting grace that allowed you then to sort of get into the personal story and develop?
1: It? Yeah. Actually, before grace came something else. There's an element of this story which, as has proved to be true with COVID, shows that disasters affect the poor much more than they affect right. the well healed because they've got a nice fat right. cushion of cash, you know. And at the time, um, that I was writing this, my, mom, my, mother, my mother was still alive, and in order to get from my house to my mother's house, I would very often drive down the Bishop's Avenue, which is right. a long road in North London where Ooh. very, very rich people build hideous McMansions.
0: Yes.
1: I mean, truly hideous. And it, it's it's quite famous, the Bishop's Avenue. And half of them at that time were uninhabited because they'd mm. been bought up by people who never lived with them. Simply, yeah, yeah. property yeah. prices were going up, so it was kind of a luxury slum. You know, so many boarded up, and you could see that there were sort of ferns growing out of the roof, and and yeah, had yeah. Holes it, all this kind of thing. And some of them were lived in, and the contrast between that and some parts of Hackney, which is where I live. Mm. I mean, it, it is obscene. It also that there's a housing crisis.
0: Yeah, absolutely, I and and
1: these huge places, no one's in it, and it, 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 um. So I thought, well, who might be somebody who's poor who lived there? They could be a caretaker or something like that, right? So I invented Grace and her family. I see, right? Because um, her grandmother's boyfriend is the caretaker of one of these houses, so they live in a tiny little flat above the garage. Oh, of the huge crumbling, falling down house. And then I thought, well, what, what would she be like? And she's quite, she is quite like me. Right. Um, Only better, obviously. Um, (laughs) And she's a carer. She worries about things a lot. Um, But, but I also wanted, I didn't want to give her special powers or anything like that. Right. Oh, think that, you know, that's a fair point. She, I didn't I mean in a way there's that whole thing about the chosen one which she is by a weird accident one of okay. a handful of chosen ones but it, you know she she can't do anything particularly special and her life has been quite prescribed by the fact that they've never had any money you know that' she's very conscious they're always an edge away from a sort of economic catastrophe which is how a lot of people live.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In a sense, then, do you see her as a sort of a role model? I mean, not super, but, you know, exhibiting all those things you want teenage to do about curiosity and the desire to do something good.
1: Well, in a way, yes. And one thing about Grace, actually, and this may be because of my crime fiction writing background, is that she's Mm -hmm. a good problem solver. Right. You know, she she'll get stuck in there.
0: Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's an it's an intuitive understanding of some of the issues, but she has to find her way through it. It's like wow. she has a mum, and a mum is reassuring, but this is about a young person learning to live in the world and make yeah. her own choices. And of course, when this situation crops up more than ever, she has to make
1: her own. Yes, choices. and she, she. I think she also realizes you have to be quite self reliant because for a variety of reasons, the adults around her are not going to be able to swoop in and pick up the pieces. Yes. Through no fault of, of their own, really, they, they won't be able to, to do that. Um, and I think that's quite important, the sort of independent thinking and, OK, mm. how can I how can I solve
0: this? And of course, we're very close to her in that sense, because she's telling us this story. So, yeah. we're, you know, we're right with her uh, on that. But writers are always creating characters. And you hinted at this earlier, actually. I mean, why not write young characters, old characters, whatever characters, you know, as long as you get it right, nobody can complain about that. But um, it's when somebody's young, I think there's almost a, a completely different worldview.
1: Mm.
0: You're not quite in that adult world yet. You don't perhaps understand its dangers or maybe you're a little bit idealistic and not as cynical. How easy was it to sort of get in that mindset?
1: Yeah, I trying to write younger. I mean, obviously, we've all been younger. Yes, right. But it, there's all sorts of things that you're it's kind of like trying to unstir the sugar in a cup of tea,
0: <laughs>
1: you know it's like when you yeah, write no, historical fiction, you have to unknow a whole bunch.
0: yes, right yes
1: <laughs> and there's a sort of similarity with that and i I did there were several moments where I thought, no, that's what I would think that is not what she would think mm. or she wouldn't understand that reference or
0: so you, you had know. to pick yourself up on and
1: it. the other thing i I think that when people try and write. At young adult fiction one of the mistakes they make is just thinking straight back to when they were a kid right and and the world has changed
0: yeah no absolutely
1: gigantically and
0: hugely Mm. you know yeah in fact we know this is well it feels like a world where there's an awful lot more pressure on young people than there was when we were young in a sense but climate change obviously being one example we had to carry perhaps the idea that maybe somebody could start a nuclear war but it yeah. was sort of, it, it might happen, it might not happen. Mm. On the other hand, climate change is really actually happening every day of the week. We see it, and they're yeah. carrying that bird,
1: Yeah. And the other thing I think is, because at one point Grace says she hates social media, and she does have mm. sort of reason to. But if, say, you are being bullied at school, I mean, for our age group, yeah. we could get away from it mm. when we got home. Yeah. Good it's not great, but you could actually yes. escape from it. If you've got social media, you can't ever. Mm. And what that must be like, I, I, yeah. I just can't imagine. It just must be awful.
0: Do you think because of factors like that? Because you make a point that you have adults in the book as well. That 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 because there's an intergenerational story here mm. too. You know, yeah. we, we get those relationships that come through as well. Is there perhaps a wider gap between us now, in a sense, than there ever was? That way, I th-
1: I think in a lot of ways, yes, because of with the, the whole technology thing. Mm.
0: I think it kind of yeah. It kind of excludes, yeah. it in a sense, doesn't it? In a way,
1: yeah. I mean, I think you know, social media is one thing when you're an adult, but I think when you're at school or, or college, it's
0: totally different thing. It's I it's... don't know,
1: and I can quite see how it can get absolutely overwhelming, mm. and the pressure just it, cause you to implode. I re- really do. Yeah. Mm. yeah. No, it,
0: it is quite worrying, and it, I mean, it comes out in other simple things. Nobody ever complained about exams when I was going to school. But every time this exam results now, you know, we get all sorts of stuff about, oh, they're not as difficult as they used to be. And all this stuff comes out. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm that, waiting pressures for. pressures
0: there that weren't there.
1: Yeah, I'm just, but I'm wait, just waiting for some old person to say, oh, you can run a mile in two minutes. Well, a mile used to be a much longer distance. You know, you just think, Oh, <laughs> shut up.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Stop
1: wanging on, you know. <laughs>
0: So you did create this group of friends and the ones who get put together, uh, in the institution as well when the story starts to take off. And so we've got really normal teens here. We've got some of them are brash, they're angsty, they're confident, mm. they're hopeful, they're exploring their emotions. I mean, it's a, a love story in here as well, you know, about mm. those teenage loves. Um, one of the things about it is that, um, it, it's about them discovering their own sort of, um, their, their own agency in a sense, you know, their own way into the world. Um, but there's there's an incredible intensity when you're young, isn't there?
1: Yes, and I think the other thing, and it's certainly something I absolutely hated about being a child, a teenager, is you, you, you're so powerless.
0: Mm. <laughs>
1: you know, I mean, yes, I know there's a reason for that. You have to go to school and all that, but yeah. that's sort of complete, you just get towed around the place.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true. You're in somebody else's hands all the time. <laughs>
1: yeah and sometimes you just can't fathom why grown-ups make the decisions they do uh, yeah I, true. I i all I always felt i think as a kid that I was uh, and this may have been partly because my eyesight problem did start quite early on right but I just always had the feeling that I was kind of running to catch up and never quite you know the train kept disappearing around the corner
0: I mean the one thing is really important when you write crime novels in particular, is this thing about if everybody told the truth at the start, mm. then it would destroy the whole structure of a book. That's the whole yeah. point. But it feels like what I remember now when I was reading this as a kid is the way you keep things secret. You know, if things bother you, you don't just turn around to the nearest adult and say, hey, I've got a problem here and I yeah. need to solve it. You, we always internalize.
1: You do. And I think that maybe, I think sometimes partly, and this is my memory from childhood, is that you can't actually find the words for it. Yes. You don't. Right. You can't quite put your finger on that. And yeah. the other thing that sometimes telling adults makes the whole thing a load worse because mm. they go crashing in with their size 12s and yes, really right. mess stuff up for you. Yeah. You know, adults aren't, mm, they're not that great or reliable, I don't think. I still don't think that, and I am one.
0: No, no, you actually have a point because if adults were that good, we wouldn't have a fraction of the problems we actually have in the <laughs> exactly. world. And all, I mean, look all at all the, the stage issues of that we play. fight over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're a perfect example of that. You can look anywhere and you'll just see that around you now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the color a little bit because um, monochrome is the world where the color goes. And it kind of sounds benign because we take color for granted. Mm. When you actually think about it, you, you show this very early on in the novel, it's a disaster. Yeah. I mean, it creates all sorts of terrible problems, and you well, illustrate that very early on.
1: Quite apart from anything else. Can you imagine how depressing it would be? Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you're watching your lovely, stylish noir movie. Fine, but you're doing it in your nice, colourful sitting room, mm. and it's only a film. And anyway, it only looks like that because of the way they used makeup and colours to make yes. that yeah. black-and-white film stop, do its stuff. Mm. you know. And you've
0: still got those images in in Color anyway in your mind, you can still yeah. translate that. And,
1: and you know what's normal, which is color.
0: I thought that was one of the really interesting things about the way you use language early on, because you you made that greyness grayer by giving us descriptions. It's, really, it and it really made you interesting.
1: Think, yeah, yeah. The finding all the words for grey or monochrome or yeah, and checking I hadn't kept reusing them. And also, how difficult it is to describe things without color. Yes, because. they can't because it's, it's no longer there.
0: And that's a really interesting point because of course we use color in language descriptively all the time, all the
1: time. And we have associations with it and so on. Mm. Um, And color is also one of the, uh, how can I put this? The forces that you don't consider that actually shape your life. They make you buy certain things Mm. Um, and that type of thing. And I, some years before I started this, I'd read a wonderful book with just the best title ever. It's called Drunk Tank Pink.
0: Drunk Tank Pink.
1: Drunk Tank Pink. And it's all about the forces we don't consider that shape our lives. And Drunk Tank Pink right. is a particular shade of pink, which they've discovered um, reduces people's aggressive uh-huh. tendency. Right. So which is why it's put in drunk tanks, see, yes. cells, that kind of thing, because they don't mm. want, them, you know, kicking off. Um, And there are a lot of colours that have effects like that, which we don't, unless you're a kind of colour psychologist or something, you don't really think about. And No, you don't. What, you know, the associations. I mean, right now, as we speak, the World Cup colours and a contra- controversial rainbow, yes. which obviously isn't yes. just a rainbow because, you know, no one could object to a rainbow, but the Qatari authorities have objected strongly to that combination of colours because of its significance.
0: Yes, yes, I see what you mean. You know, mean.
1: that Harry Kane wasn't allowed to wear the armband and so on. And they actually, politically, they're huge. Do you, do you remember there was um a campaign for a phone company, The Future's Bright, The Future's Orange? Yes, I remember that. Great. How would that play in Northern Ireland? Mm. You know. Mm. It, no, it doesn't. Yeah, the like significance
0: that. is that the, yeah. the more I read about it, the more I thought about it. Because you, this yeah. is something you never think about until confronted with your novel. In all honesty, you don't think about. Yes, it. Yes, because
1: there's no there's
0: no reason. Yeah, but on the other I hand as worry. well, you also give this very plausible reason by how something like this could come about. We talked about those microplastics and that, and I mean, what is amazing is how quickly the world actually disintegrates, how society mm. disintegrates around it in the novel, and then. It leads you to think as well about the future. I mean, how long would people have colour in their memory, for instance? And well, what happens I, when generations are born who don't have any colour? Yeah,
1: we we. I think I I did have her thinking, Grace, thinking at mm. one point, somebody says, oh, my sister's having a baby, my brother's having a baby. That baby will never know colour. Now, there are people in the world who have a condition called a chromatopsia. Yes,
0: right. Not
1: many, a few, which tends in that, in their case, also that they they have photophobia in the light and <laughs> with light they have to walk around wearing dark glasses and stuff. But the idea that that the whole world of color would be forever removed, and there will be a child who never saw blue sky, green grass, red rose, is just desperate. I mean, it is. it's kind of this chilling. Of art and clothing and mm. you, you know all sorts of things.
0: Yeah, no, it is. It's kind of chilling. Really is when you think about it yeah. that way. So, it, I mean, it's a very personal story for these young people, and particularly Grace. But was Ballard a sort of a nod to JG Ballard? Because, of course, that's her name, Grace Ballard.
1: I only realised that afterwards. Of uh, course, it was. Yes. <laughs> I just
0: course. wonder because.
1: <laughs> no, somebody else said that um, when somebody read a first draft, and like, oh yeah. <laughs> Although somebody pointed out that in the, the my police series of Stratton Brooks, there is a character called Ballard who comes back. Yes, so right, honestly, uh, I didn't realize, I mean, I, I, I like JG Ballard a lot. So yeah.
0: Right. So there's no, no harm done with it. Certainly anyway, yeah. because it's about the family and the, the young people and how they get on. But the, you mentioned it's a political story in the sense that there is this corporate angle and all that, mm. but you play it very subtly. So it plays into these personal stories very subtly. Would it have been different if you'd written an adult novel?
1: Probably. What what I really didn't want is, you know, that great cliche and crime thriller, which is the evil corporation. Yes. Right. Um, and I was writing, obviously, about what you might call Big Pharma. Yes. And of course, at the time I was writing it, that whole business with the Sacklers, the opioids.
0: Right. Right. Really came to coming out. To yeah. the yeah.
1: appalling extent of basically they're like the world's biggest drug dealer. Mm. You know, this is what they've done. Yeah. They've destroyed whole done it under license. Yeah. Um, But they've done it legally. Mm. And it did strike me that it's not so much the evil corporation, but the whole thing with big, somebody said if Big Pharma was um, a football match, they would own both the teams and the referee and all the journalists reporting on it and the stadium.
0: Mm. You know,
1: it's so skewed. I mean, obviously, the whole history of medicine is about trial and error. Of course, it is. We can't know everything there is to be known. But if you look at great medical disasters, the past, thalidomide, case in point, various other things, mm. um, you see that you th- they do happen for a reason.
0: No, they do, because money becomes more important yeah. than medical advance or anything. Whatever the initial ideas you set out with, no matter how good they were, they get perverted by this thing yeah. that, that crops up, you know. Absolutely. Um, so when it comes to I mean, if for instance, if a novel was written about domestic violence, you'd like to hope it was actually, in a sense, speaking against domestic violence, Mm. subtly portrayed in the story. So we've talked about climate change, and we've talked about conspiracy here now, and there are other issues in the novel. Is it important? Do you you want the readers to engage with those issues?
1: Yes. Um, Certainly one issue in the novel which I touched on, and I think this sort of did come about Mm, for want of a better word, organically, mm-hmm. is the character of Rusty, who is the caretaker right. and he's the grandmother's yes boyfriend, and he has an alcohol problem. Now, Rusty is basically my late husband who was an alcoholic.
0: I see, right.
1: And who didn't beat it. But I decided that. You know how you very often you get you get crime writers saying, Oh, well, I took revenge on a, a bad person. I thought, well, I can do the opposite here. I can get a happy ending you know, that he didn't have in life. I can, I can give it to him fiction. I see, right. I thought yes, that would yes. be, a, without any plot spoilers, I thought that would be a really nice thing to do for, for somebody.
0: Yes, that does sound nice, yes.
1: Um, but I also wanted to really write a little bit about how that causes problems for mm. families, how it impacts on the people around uh, the person who's
0: drinking. Yeah. I mean, it's not like preaching, but in a sense, as you read things, you know, you learn from them, don't you? And it's nice to have that. I think it's it's appropriate. Perhaps to have those things where, you know, somebody can always reject it or say, I'm not happy with that. But
1: yeah. Yeah. And I, the other thing I thought was that although as an individual you think, well, I can't do anything about any of this, whether it's a problem within your family mm. or the wider world, actually you work out what you can do and do that. Mm. You know what? What you shouldn't do is just throw up your hands and give up, even though it's jolly tempting.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: To do yeah. that, you know. Yeah,
0: and I think that comes across brilliantly in the book. You said you enjoyed. So we talked about some serious issues. You know, we've been quite heavy in mm. a sense, but you also said that you enjoyed this more than you've ever enjoyed writing a book. Why is that?
1: Yeah. Well, w- when I say ever, it it took me back to the first book I ever wrote oh, I and the kind of excitement of discovery that oh how do you do this and you know because it was a different kind of book i had mm. to kind of in a way start from gra- sort of ground zero i see i see a bit um and and i think it was partly just because i was going in a, a, a new direction you know mm. because i had also in the time i was writing it i had tried to write an adult novel which i i think was based on a good idea but right for some reason my heart just wasn't in it right you know sometimes just everything is telling you 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 need to go somewhere else mm. and I might actually come back to that at all at some point because as I said do you think it was quite good but I just the focus wasn't there and whenever I would sit down with with Grace and her world mm-hmm. I the you know what they call flow Yes, right. It, you know, was absolutely was there, yeah. and now I that... found it with the 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 adult young adult novel I'm writing now.
0: Mm-hmm. As, that as makes well. it does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Was it also sort of a start again with the publisher and with the editors, and all, was it sort of a whole rebirth of, of all the facets of writing the book?
1: Yes, in in a lot of ways it was because because in in fact, um, my agent, wonderful wonderful Jane Gregory, um, mm. who. I had always been my agent from the beginning, who's great, doesn't do YA and, in fact, is right, not, retired. So, it, as I say, you know, about a lot of changes, mm. there was a sort of natural, you know, all like revolving door kind of thing.
0: Yeah. It so, does sound kind of exciting, though, when you talk about that. I'm assuming you will go back to, or no, that's not fair for me to assume. No. I'm You might go back to adult fiction or you might decide to go back to crime writing
1: yeah, I might, but okay. right now I'm having far too much yes, fun. Right. Because also, I mean, I think what's something that's really good about crime writing at the moment is that it's kind of come out of its box a bit. You mm. can do more stuff with it. But yeah, you still, 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 you can do far more with YA than, you know, in terms of time travel, rebirth, other worlds. Yes. Because it's not a, a genre in that sense. It's for yeah. an age group. Awesome. Um, so I think I'm going to stay here for a bit and just explore, you know, other parts anyway. of the forest.
0: Have you had a chance? Because, I mean, we're still coming out of COVID. Have you had a chance to meet the audience in a sense very much?
1: Um, and not not really many so far. Right. And, and I think actually because not in real life anyway, not not that much, because I think actually COVID there's, with COVID there's still much more stuff going on online. Mm. Um, and also I think now there's the matter of, ever-decreasing resources, schools, libraries, yes, and so on. I mean, I think in, in that way we are living in a bit of a shrinking world, which is, is sad, really.
0: It is. I mean, I see how hard authors work these days to try and cover those gaps, you know, mm. things that maybe would have been taken care of in the past. You've got to do for yourself these days. Oh, God. Be,
1: my first novel was published in 1999. That's the last century. And it was a completely different world. Mm. To- it, I, It's changed beyond practically all recognition, Mm. really. Well, apart from you still sitting on your bottom typing away, but
0: (laughs) yeah, yes, those bits never change, do they? Well, I hope they don't change anyway. Um, What's next then? You mentioned you've got another novel in line.
1: Yes. Um, Well, the next uh, Mm. mm, one—it's—it's not an eco thriller. It's very interesting because I can't quite get away from crime. Thriller world, right? And this one is—it's a time slip murder mystery. oh okay. So if you imagine a cross between Tom's Midnight Garden and Back to the Future with a crime element, right? You'll have it. And you've given
0: the publicity people the perfect quote there to start
1: with. (laughs) Yes, I must tell them that actually. Yeah, Um, do. (laughs) No, the what the. The idea for that came when um, I noticed that Holloway Prison, which used to be just down the road from where right, I live, yeah, right. is being sold. Prisoners are all sent off to other places and it's going to be flats. It's right. not anything yet. But I just imagined what would happen if you bought a flat in what used to be Holloway right. Prison and it happened to be right next to the site of the execution chamber. Right. And you were At midnight and discovered you when you walked into the corridor that on the other side of what used to be your hallway was the condemned cell.
0: Mm. Creepy.
1: And in there was a young woman who was going to die in seven days' time in 1955.
0: Oh, right. She's Specific. innocent.
1: Can you alter the course of
0: history? Mm.
1: What happens if you do?
0: Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> That because sounds really fascinating. Clock.
1: And I'm, I'm just loving it. Although the problem turns out to be with time travel is time travel is basically physics.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I did not excel in science in school and I've never had a physics lesson in my life. And the learning curve. i bad Cool.
0: I mean, it, it is. It, I'm sure that people who do quite a lot of science still kind of find it hard to get this I mean, concept around your head. Really. Yeah. I
1: mean, I realize that time travel is only notional physics mm. not actual physics because... If you could do it, well, where are the tourists from the future? Yeah, then? there's lots of why basic questions. Never, that, yeah. yeah. Which is why um,
0: an awful lot of science fiction films fail at the end of the day because they just leave you with it. And you think that's just impossible. It doesn't explain anything.
1: No. And always- in fact, as a kid, I was never that interested in, in sci-fi because I don't know if it's changed now, but the problem about it then, it was entirely populated by white men. Yes, There weren't where were the women. Where were all the that, other
0: people? That, unfortunately, is the history of the world.
1: Yeah, but it's like Richard Pryor, you know, said, yeah, yeah someone's banking on us not being there. And yeah. also the girls, apart from one token one, you know. So I was very put off by it very early on and and never formed the, what you might call the sci-fi habit. Yeah. Although I do like novelists like J.G. Ballard. But yes, in my really. mind, that's not sci-fi. That's,
0: I don't know, something else. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know? Yes, I kind of agree with you about that. Um, it seems more real.
1: Yeah, when, it, when you look at novels like The Drowned projection World, rather than that's something yeah.
0: mm. um Yes, absolutely.
1: Something I noticed with, with that and with uh, The Road, Cormac McCarthy, which I mm-hmm. read some years ago, is that they start after the disasters happened. Yes. And in fact, in the case of The Road, I don't think we even know what the cataclysm. is. No, we
0: don't. Do we? I'm sure you're but right.
1: What I had very much wanted in monochrome was to show the disaster unfolding yes. because people are in denial and they panic and they ascribe all sorts of motives. You yeah, know, we see the world in monochrome past, and sense, everyone yeah. gets blamed for it, mm. which is sort of slightly what happened with COVID.
0: Oh, it always got to be it somebody is. else's fault. No, it, it does. It, it echoes all the way along. You, know, you yeah. keep thinking, yeah, that's so similar to this. And, yeah, that did happen. Yeah. So very much true. Talking about dystopia then and dystopian novels, in a sense, we had George Orwell and we had Huxley and a whole slew of dystopian novels that kind of said the future is going to be a disaster. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to kind of lessen off in a way. Um, it was almost like people got more positive about the future. And this is what you were saying earlier about how we felt we were being positive with our in lives the world. But yeah, in progress. Yeah. But we seem to be back to a stage now where we're thinking more about dystopia and it isn't just related to COVID. But do you feel that? I mean, do you sense that? Because you read a lot, obviously, as a critic.
1: Yes, I, I do a bit. I think, I mean, as you made the point earlier very well about nuclear war. When yeah. we were growing up, it was the Cold War. But maybe I was a particularly phlegmatic and unimaginative kid. I'm not <laughs> sure. Um it doubted. seemed to me that that was just the order of things that was going to prevail and they were they were going to kind of bluster a lot, but no yes, one was right. actually going to press that button.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, obviously, when I grew up, I saw movies like Dr. Strangelove and that kind of thing, which yes. there was a sort of inherent ridiculousness. Mm. Like, easy to say now, isn't it? And in yeah, fact, yeah. Or maybe not so much Putin could actually. And in fact, when I the first draft of Monochrome, when Grace watches the sun come up and she there's a lead ball, yes, and she right. remembers a film she's seen about an atom bomb. She thinks about those images of Hiroshima, people with their mm. flesh hanging off them like rags, you know. And the, and my publisher said quite rightly, I think, can you just really tone this down because this has now become a real possibility again?
0: Yeah, no. that shows you how much things have changed in the last few years. Yeah,
1: and that. That was very recent because, of course, in Ukraine and so on—it wasn't happening. Yeah. When I wrote the book, but I—I I do remember. I felt as a kid. God, surely no one could be that stupid mm. to press a button. I no longer feel that. I think that. Oh, well, now as adults, we, possibly, we understand
0: what adults are actually like. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that very possibly could happen. Mm. Um, yes, I think at the point I thought that. I still thought, oh well mum and dad know what they're doing or the yeah. prime minister knows what he or she is doing or somebody's going to step in. And then they kept not stepping in. Yeah. And recent events, I mean, pre-COVID referendum and Trump and so on. Mm. I thought, God, there aren't any, where are the adults? Yeah. And the adults, yeah. adults actually, I mean, I, even though I was well into <laughs> you know, middle age by that point, but you suddenly realise that. No, I think they don't right. know what they're doing either.
0: Yeah, and every time you think you've heard the craziest thing you could hear, or the craziest thing seems another to
1: have happened, one comes along. Another one
0: comes on; it's yeah. more crazy, and we just seem to be uh, going that way.
1: Yeah, I actually yeah. sort of feel like nothing would surprise me anymore. Yeah, which is not a good way to be.
0: No, it's not. Really, I'm mean, not. It, but it's a, it's a realism. It's not some, you're not a doomsday person or anything it's just the way mm. unfortunately things are no. but we're not going to no, leave and
1: i would have, no and in fact i would always say if i'm asked that actually i'm quite an optimistic person and i think that i i wanted the book to end on an optimistic yes
0: note, yes
1: which is that everybody can make a difference because with plastics for example recycling it's not about one person being perfect no it's everybody being as good as they yeah. can be, or being yeah. adequate and if we do try know. to
0: get together how much can we actually achieve yeah i don't know
1: and so, yeah. and if we all do a little bit yeah. and if we worry about getting back to some pristine perfect state that's letting perfection be the enemy of good and it's a recipe for disaster so it's just like well let's all do what we can yeah sort of thing. and yeah, if that's not so be it you know but it's something
0: yeah no that makes a lot of sense mm couple of questions to finish off then one is you're the guardian crime fiction critic you still enjoy well, doing that as much as you ever did
1: do you know what i think since i've started writing ya i enjoy it more all oh, right actually because i i do yeah i do i mean i've always liked it and i've always been excited to see what book is going to come through the letterbox and mm-hmm. is it going to be something fantastic is it I have you somehow any-
0: got sort of a different perspective mm-hmm. because you've got the young adult writing is in a sense sort of out of your world you've Mm -hmm. you've had a chance to step out and now you can step back in occasionally is is it that is that what we're talking about
1: yes I think I I really needed to do that Mm. in a lot for all sorts of reasons and that was great um but I also think that if if you're a critic of any kind of fiction or Mm -hmm. books you have a quite a skewed idea of you know it's not like being a member of the general public you don't just Go on right. Amazon, and walk into a shop and see some books. You think, oh, my God, they're all the same. Oh, it's all generic. Oh, this is it. But you're in a <laughs> yes, completely different part of the mean. circle. Why yeah. has not this trend died yet? Bloody hell. But you're <laughs> <in> a, <laughs> You're if you imagine it like a circle, you're in a completely different part of that circumference. Yes, yes. The, the, you know, the general reader.
0: Yeah, I know. I understand what you mean there. Uh, on that basis, though, what about um, a recommendation, one thing you've read recently maybe that you, you'd really recommend to readers? or listeners.
1: I should um say. okay well aside from drunk tank pink which is just brilliant right yeah and, I and really i'll make a note like of that by way, on the way the author is adam somebody but i can't remember anything. No, i'll catch up with that 2014 um i have made a discovery of a wonderful novelist who was writing in the 30s and 40s called eh um eh young right and i've just re- um read a fantastic book called Chatterton Square she is brilliant Um for recent contemporary stuff, Book of the Most Precious Substance by Sarah Grant.
0: Yes, brilliant.
1: Which is fabulous for all sorts of reasons. Um and for YA, I am fortunate to have to have a proof of Holly Jackson's Five Survive, which I'm about one third of the way through, and it's riveting and really exciting.
0: Right. I'll make a note of those on the program notes because it's always nice for people to catch up if they want to follow up on those titles. Laura, that's been brilliant. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. It was lovely talking to you.
0: And I want to say a big thank you to Laura for a fascinating interview. Monochrome by Jamie Costello is available now from Atom and you can get it at all good bookshops and book outlets. If you want to order it through us, you can click the link on the program page, and that'll take you to bookshop.org, and you can get the book there. If you're like me, you'll find it quite difficult finding something really appropriate for a teenager to read. Challenging and well-written, and of course, relevant. This book strikes me as something for the late teenager, and certainly worth checking out. If you've enjoyed listening to this chat, please rate and subscribe with your favorite podcast provider. I'll be back shortly with another interview. In fact, Jerome Charin, another American legend. And this time he'll be talking about his new novel, Big Red. And we'll be joined by Maxim Jakubowski. But as I said, we have few to look out for this month. And some very special things happening in January. But for now, thank you very much for listening and bye.